this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and we're here at the Friars Club in New York City. Our guests today are a screenwriter, television writer, and playwright who's written 12 TV pilots, as well as the screenplays for the movies The Guru and Confessions of a Shopaholic. And our other guest, a songwriter, singer, actor, and member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame who's written some of the most popular and enduring songs of our uh, lifetimes, including We've Only Just Begun, Rainy Days and Mondays, and The Rainbow Connection, among many others. He's also an actor. He's appeared in everything from Smokey and the Bandit to Phantom of the Paradise to Batman the Animated Series. So please welcome Tracy Jackson and Paul Williams. Thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Yay! Thank you. Yeah. So welcome, much guys. fun welcome. to be here. Now I want to hear you sing those songs. Uh, okay, Sharing Horizons. <laughs> Gilbert sings the Paul Williams songbook. Just, I think I that, would, that would be a hit album. It would be you know, he album. sings on almost every yeah. episode. Yes. Now. And well. as a matter of fact, he sang a little bit of a Paul Williams song on one episode. Paul. And he sang? Uh, Gilbert, you want uh, to tell nice Paul? Nice to be around. Oh, my God, you know that one? Yes. Okay. Paul's going to want money because of ASCAP. You better yeah. probably send the phone <laughs> I yeah. keep that stuff really quiet. Right, right, right. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I'll keep my mouth yeah, shut. Yeah, no, because he's going to put his hand up. Sing away, Charles. Go ahead. Give him a little bit of it. Okay. I, I always sing Paul Williams songs as Paul Williams. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, hello. With affection from a sentimental fool. <laughs> To a little girl who's broken every rule. <laughs> One that brings me up when all the others seem to let me down. One who's nice to be around. Should I say that it's a blue world without you? Whisper words I remember from old love songs, but all wrong, cause I never called it love before. Oh, this feeling's new, it came with you, and I know that the nicest things I've never, never seen to last, last. That, that we're both a bit embarrassed by our past. <laughs> but I think, I think there's something special in the feelings that we found. And you're nice to be around. <laughs> Oh, my God. I think you guys have to go on the road. Wonderful. I think you guys have to go on the What's road. amazing is you sound exactly like John Biner doing me. <laughs> John Biner does you? That's great. 
Maybe that's but, how you sound, Paulie. Oh, it's, it's the way I used to sound because of my, you know, because I couldn't breathe. My nose was so full of cocaine. I couldn't, you know, should I say that it's a blue? Then I got sober and all of a sudden I was like, should I say that it's a, well, where'd this voice come from? <laughs> No, it's, it's because you weren't, didn't have your nose in a mirror all those years. You wouldn't have sounded like that, you know. Yeah, yeah see, I think I liked your singing better on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you, but you wouldn't have liked the rest of me any better. Yeah, you wouldn't have liked the rest of me. Uh, she and, knew me then. And she, I feel so bad that I didn't include the first part of the song. It was, hello, what a silly way to Such start. Such a simple a, way to say, oh, oh, what? What a simple way to start a love affair. <laughs> should I jump right in and say how much I care? Or should I say I'm right in and say how much I care? You know, and with sounds of voice, like I should, I should be saying things like, Gilbert, are you my daddy? Gilbert, are you my daddy? Would you take me for a madman? Or a simple hearted <laughs> Tracy, jump in here and save me. Oh, Tracy. Now, you... I can't sing, so what, no, Did you here. write that and a couple of other songs with John Williams? I wrote that with John Williams. That was, the, that was uh, for a movie called Cinderella, Cinderella yes. Liberty. Yeah, sure. Yeah. James, James Conn. Conn. Yeah, it was... Eli you know, Wallach. I mean, if you're going to write Mason. songs for a movie, there's... The, what an amazing way to begin is to have somebody like John Williams pull you into the process. You know, so it was John Williams and... and uh, the director, Mark uh, Rydell. Rydell. Mark Rydell, and, you know, gave for, me the job. It was fabulous. For anyone out there who wouldn't know John Williams, which is shocking. <laughs> yeah, uh, turn off the show immediately. Uh, he wrote, bum, 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 He wrote Jaws. Uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Schindler's List. Every Spielberg film, exactly. and including a million others. I wonder if he's divorced and has to give away a lot of his royalties. And, and the, the two you know, of it's you It's going together. around, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's going around, I hear. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it was a great way to start my career. And it was like the first stuff I ever wrote for a feature film. We wrote five songs for that. But yeah, brilliant man. Brilliant man. And... Um, Okay, if we could start with now, your father was how tall was your father? Six foot two. But we, do we want to talk about, <laughs> about my journey like that, or do we want to talk about gratitude and trust? Because we'll get to both had, of them. I had yes. two. Bro- I had two brothers. They're both six footers, and and it made you know I have a mild resentment. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, here's the story. The interesting thing is they gave me shots to make me grow when I was like nine because I was fall, kind of falling behind. If they hadn't done that, I probably would have gone one up the same height as my brothers and all. But they gave me shots. A doctor said, let's try something. Let's give him male hormone, which did not make me any taller, but it gave me a huge heart on. And what was interesting... <laughs> All of it, you know, so it's the headwaters of why I write codependent love songs is because at nine years old, I was humping my Aunt Laverne's leg. I mean, it was just, you know, they went, okay, stop the hormone shots. Immediately stop the hormone shots, you know. So, uh, so you know, yeah, I was more interested in, you know, in my, my toy chest, no, but Aunt Laverne's chest, yeah, you know, so... So, but anyway, I kind of screwed things up. So it's, my body clock got all messed up. I didn't hit puberty till I was out of high school, and I, you know, I took a spurt. I was four six when I graduated. I and then I I spurted up to five two, you know, and uh, I just it slowed everything down. But now, when I'm about to turn seventy five, I'm thrilled to have things. You know, I mean, I I now I have I have three kids that are in their thirties, and their dad is feeling about the same age as them. You know, and is about as mature. 
You look great for 75, Paul. Thank if you, I sir. could blow a little smoke Thank up you. your skirt. Thank you. Now, what, tell us how you met Tracy. There's a story. What, blowing smoke up my skirt? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're sure. You can, can we turn the cameras on? Paul's yeah. yeah. not going to blow smoke, and I'm wearing pants, so we'll try and do and, that. And your origin, your, the, the origin, the story of how you met involves an iconic actor. It does. Paul's hero. Well, I was a Paul Williams fan when I was a kid. I, I'm beginning to think that all kids who had come from fucked up families watched Mike Douglas every day. I think that yeah. he was like the babysitter for all disenfranchised children. Um, but I... I was crazy about Paul. I loved his music. I was, uh, and he moved to Santa Barbara, where I grew up. And I was friendly with Robert Mitchum. And there were, like, there were like three celebrities in Santa Barbara. There was Robert Mitchum. There was Steve Martin, who lived on the hill and never came down. And there was Jonathan Winters. Uh-huh. And when Jonathan Winters moved to Santa Barbara, he was really bored. So he would go up every day to the Upper Village, and he would do his act. <laughs> just I for mean, strangers in the street? No, just like for anyone. Like he'd stand wow. in front of the market or this <laughs> and he would do his act. And when he first got there, everybody was like really happy because like Santa Barbara's a boring city, right? So all of a sudden there's Jonathan Winters and you go to the market and he's like, you know, he's doing his whole thing and, and you're, you're kind of cool and you get this big crowd. Well, he, this went on for years and you get, it got to the point where you go, shit, I've got 40 minutes and uh, I, and you'd park around the back because there'd be Jonathan, you know, doing yeah. season three of the... Uh, so... So when Paul came to town, I was very excited. I didn't get to meet him right away. And then Mitchum had a New Year's Day party. And Dorothy Mitchum, known as the sheriff, to try and keep Bob out of trouble, which was not successful, <laughs> said that Paul Williams was going to be there. So I got all dressed up. And sure enough, there he was in like a little Andy Gibb jacket, that didn't, sort yeah. of. And, and, uh, and I went up to him and I said, Mr. Williams, I love you so much. I've loved your music my whole life. You're just like everything. I, I was just total sycophant. I'm 22 years old. I mean, come on. And he looks at me and goes, well, as long as it got you laid. Oh, yeah. And he turns on his heels uh, and he walks away. Classic first impression. So then yeah. I decided I like Neil Diamond better. <laughs> and, Understandable. And then we got one, we got a photo op on Bob's bed, which is yeah. Paula's favorite thing about our relationship, is we got a photo op on Bob's I bed. I love saying that we, you know, we met in Bob Robert Mitchum's bed. Yeah. 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 Story. He you loves know, that. Yeah. Well, you love people to think you spent a lot of time in Robert Mitchum's bedroom. Exactly. exactly. But I, wa- I wasn't, you know, it's like we, had our, we didn't have our noses in each other's laps. We had our noses on little, co- little mirrors. You and Bob? Or you and me, me and Bob. No, oh, oh, well, neither one of us. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Well, but yeah, but Mitchum. Well, Mitchum spoke a lot of dope, and Mitchum was like a doughboy. He called me doughboy. I called his nickname was the Goose because he walked like a goose. You know, he had the shoulder thing, and he called me the doughboy for the Pillsbury doughboy, and he'd be like, hey, doughboy, <laughs> doughboy. Tried this shit. It's no good, but you might like it. And then he'd give you something scraped off to King Tut that was just gonna it was gonna put you know put you back in grade school mentality and leave you there for a week. You know, uh, <laughs> and that's probably where I was when Tracy walked in there because I was not that nasty a guy. But that I mean, what came you out of my day. mouth was just that day I was just arrogant little sexist little prick. You know, so uh, she wandered out. She says walked, spun on her heels, a Neil Diamond fan left the room and all. But then we met in 2000, like 2001, I think, when I was at, uh, at Feinstein's, and she and her husband, Glenn, came to see my show, and I was different. I was, at that time, 11 years sober, and, uh, and when we hit it off, and we became best friends. You thought, I got a second shot at this, at I not, got a not screwing this friendship exactly. up. Before that, I, was a, I had a deal at Sony, and I wanted to do a TV. I, I, I'd always liked him, no matter what, even after he said that, and I, I was writing TV shows at Sony, and I went in one day, and they said, who do you want to, t- you know, what do you want to do? It was like the good old days, right? And I said, I'd like to do a show for Paul Williams. And like all the, all the suits looked at me and went, well, if you 
back the cocaine truck up into the uh, stage door, maybe. And that was it. They, and they nixed it. And, they, and he couldn't get a job. I mean, that was the time you yeah, couldn't get yeah. a job. But and I also didn't know because it was in the 80s, as I imagine. And in it was the 90s. 80s, it was in the 90s. Oh, in the 90s, I wasn't even trying. I was, I was learning to be me. I was nearly yeah. sober. You, you, you were telling me before about how you used to send people in to your meetings? My, my, my manager, Denny Bond, would go to me. I'd send him to creative meetings for me because I couldn't leave the house, you know. I would say that I had a dental emergency, and, I, and so he would go and have a creative meeting on my behalf. It's, how rude is that? I mean, how, if somebody is, is nice enough to offer you a job, and you send your manager because you're too stoned to go, that was me in the 80s, you know. And, and you said you've, you kind of felt like you were sending people out like you are Frank Sinatra. Who I thought I was, and you know, and then I got sober, and I went, you know, who I used to think I was, not even, <laughs> even, do you know, who I used to be. It's like, do you know who I used to think I was? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I carried a gun until I got sober, I, and you know, I always I had a, you know, a permit and everything, and and I got sober. I looked down, I saw, oh my God, that's embarrassing. What is this thing on my hip? This growth with S and W on the side. Oh, it's Smith and Wesson. Get rid of that. Yeah, that's. That's not who I am. That's who I was in, with the arrogance and the, you know, and the paranoia that cocaine brings. Yeah, to be drunk and stoned and carry a gun. And armed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Might yeah. not exactly. be the smartest You know, thing. writing children's movies, you know. <laughs> and now Tracy mentioned uh, the Mike Douglas show. Which, oh, yeah. Now, it was filmed in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, and you said that uh, actor Peter Lawford... Called you. Oh, this is in the documentary. Yeah, it's in the yeah. documentary. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, Peter Lawford said, "Look, he said I just did the 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 the, the show and the Mike Douglas show. And he says so they're not going to want me back and all. But every host, your guest host, every guest host can ask each day for one guest. Ask for me. Ask for me because there is some blow in Philly. And my family knows if I go back to Philadelphia, just to go back to Philadelphia, they'll know exactly why I'm going there. <laughs> But if you ask me, so if you look at the episode of, of, of and it's in the, the, the documentary, if you look at the episode of the little clip from Mike Douglas with, with Peter Lawford and I, we're so ripped. And so it's, it's like, first of all, we look like a couple of parrots. We can't stop moving. You know, it's just like, and I'm just laughing at everything. Like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You sounded like Drug Gilbert. test Gilbert. Quickly. <laughs> There's actually a clip in the documentary well, of the two of you. And, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're clearly just ripped, you know. And we're talking yeah. about the documentary, so we should yeah. plug it. Paul Williams still alive. Paul Williams still alive. Which I'm both Gil- proof I'm with Gilbert today. Yes. yes. Well, that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> yeah. We all loved it. Dara too. And yeah, and you, you said also from your father, you got you, you really adopted your uh, your your drinking problem. Well, I think you know I think there's a genetic propensity to you know to to uh, to to be a lush and the, in in the Williams family, I had two brothers that were you know that were drunks. My dad was a drunk. I was drunk. My younger brother is so. My younger brother is I think thirteen years sober. Um, my older brother was sober when he passed away from a heart attack and all. He never couldn't quit smoking. But yeah, Williamses are Williamses have have the gene. You know, it's yeah. when I was five years old, four, five, six years old at a family picnic, they'd give us a little glass of beer and all. And I would want to sing. <laughs> like Frank Sinatra. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and for a while, when I was nine, I, I could, you know. And, and your father used to pick you up in the car when you were a little kid, and he'd be like sloshed at the oh, wheel. I remember spinning out in the middle of a field, you know, somebody coming over and just yelling at him in the window, saying, you're going to kill those kids or yourself someday, Paul. You're going to kill those And I wound up doing the exact same thing with my kids. I, I, when I'd left my wife and kids... 
I had a home up in Montecito. I had a home in L.A. I'd drive up and get my kids, and I was driving back and forth just as loaded as my dad was. It, you know, did the same thing. What I got, though, was when I finally got a place in my life where I hit my knees, said I need some help, and there were people there to help me, and they gave me my life back. You know? And and your your father would tell us what happened to him eventually. He was he was killed in a one car accident. He he drove into the abutment of a bridge when I was thirteen. He was drunk and and uh, he lived a week. You know, you know, he was a sweet sweet man. I would love it if he had if he had gotten sober. If he had found the you know the the avenue of recovery that I took, which incidentally I don't talk about on the air in specifics. I don't mention that organization, but that organization that saved my life would have would have been. A, he would have loved. He would have loved the hearts in there. He would have loved the 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 kindness. The spiritual awakening that was awake, awake, waiting for uh, for anybody that's, that's life is is uh, on the brink right now. End of commercial. Well, it's, yeah. it's, all, <laughs> now, it's also now, back, to, back to gratitude and it, It's interesting that you and Tracy would get together and write a book about recovery because unlike you, she was not a drug user. Never. She was, not a, she was go, a, a good girl, if I may say. In some ways. Yes, not, not <laughs> Tell a, us the bad way. Not, not with an addictive. I was a slut. But what I used to say... <laughs> I, I was. I did. I was a slut from a very early age. And Why didn't I meet you back then? Yeah, that's what Paul always says. But what, but what I didn't do, I used to say this. I used to say I'm fucking everybody, but I'm not taking drugs. That was my thing. Hey. And you know what? I mean, like you pick your poison. I was terrified of drugs. I was terrified of drugs. I believed reefer madness. Like when they show it in school. Oh, yeah. Sure. I was the kid that went, I get it. I get it. It's what gateway it, drug. If you save one person. The, the and that's what I say. If right. you save one person. Right. I was that person. I never did. I was, I was offered drugs She's by Hunter Thompson. I've been offered drugs by everybody. I had an agent who kept trying to have sex with me when I was in Hollywood. And he would bring me quaaludes when they used to. Remember when they, remember the old quaalude days? And I would just take them and I'd put them in a little bottle in my medicine chest. And I had like 50 of them. And one, and one day someone came in my apartment and they went in my medicine chest. And they go, whoa, you got 50 ludes in here. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess so. Can I have them? But you know, everyone used to check everyone's. Never touched a thing. I mean, nothing. And so it's a really, it was a really interesting thing that we, I'm the, you know, we're the yin and the yang of, of, and I can have a glass of wine, and I do at night. I'll have a glass of wine, or I'll leave half of it. I mean, you've yeah. seen me leave. Yeah, which makes me crazy. More half right. of glasses <laughs> of wine. Does, doesn't it all? Doesn't it bug you also that Hunter Thompson? Uh... It kills him. Yeah. The, yeah the, oh, yeah. The, exactly. That she didn't take it. You right. Know, it's like it, you know, the stories, the stories. Oh, but actually, have, she it would have driven. Yeah. yeah. It would have. Oh, but Gilbert, you would have loved. Did you ever know Hunter Thompson? No. You yeah. would have. I, I, this is a story I have to tell you because you would have loved this. We, we, my husband it sells rare books and manuscripts, and we went out to uh, see Hunter Thompson right before he died, actually. And it was, I, was, it, I wanted to see the Oscars. It was Oscar night. And all I said was, I don't care as long as I get to see the Oscars. So we got to this house in the middle of, like, God fuck nowhere in the snow. And it hasn't had the windows <laughs> What's opened. What's the name of the town again? Woody Creek. The, the windows <laughs> no, have I not. I like, like the other title. <laughs> I like your, God, God fuck, fuck nowhere. nowhere. And it's like. I think I played a comedy yeah, call. I'm sure you did. Yeah, the windows had not been opened you. since 1961. And he'd been smoking hash in there all day, every day. You walk in and he and I, and I just want to watch the Oscars, okay? And, and, and he's got this setup where he's got a TV and he has all of his drugs, which he kept offering me, which I wouldn't take. And he has his phone. And every time the phone rings, like if you called him, it would play. You say, this is, I can't do your voice, but it, it would play, you know, Gilbert, you know, it, Hunter, it's Gilbert. I want to talk to you. Let's have lunch. And, and, and he had a TV where if you change the channel, it went to whatever you were watching, to porn, and then back to a movie that was starring him. 
So for the entire <laughs> Oscars, I swear to God. So it'd be like, and now best screenwriters are, and then you'd go to like, he'd switch the channel be like, two girls fucking in a hot tub, right? <laughs> and then they would switch it back and be like, he and Benicio del Toro doing blow. And then it would switch it back to like, and uh, and then you know, Billy Crystal singing a song. And then it would go to like five guys doing each other. And this went on all night long with all this hash. I swear to God, I went running out of there in the snow at like three in the morning wanting to kill myself. I'm so horny right now. <laughs> But I need never to be alone for a little while. Give me so a second. Like long. Set your TV so every other channel is porn. It can now, be done. Now here's something I I always wondered. I mean, I, it's nothing, just me. Uh, uh, the idea of uh, you know uh, suffering and being drunk and stone and creativity. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm kind of. I always like. I always like, I think a lot of people avoid psychiatry because they don't want to ruin what's making them so creative. I, th- I think it's an interesting th- question. I get that, you know, at the headwaters of most of our creativity, our creative lives, whatever, you find a lot of broken people. I mean, I don't think that, that you, what's your line about it? If you got a date for the. Oh, well, that's, that's in Hollywood. If you thought, show me a comedy writer who went to the prom, and I'll show you a network executive. <laughs> yeah. That, that covers oh, it right. I like I mean, it. That, that in I like one it. sentence, in, in, in a few words, why I love her, but also in one sentence covers exactly what you're it's talking about. It's not my about. line, it, by the way. It's Chuck Lorre's. I cannot it's take It's kind of like, like I think with an oyster, if it's got some kind of an irritation, it's how it oh, makes I it Oh, I love purr. that. Oh, yeah, and if it didn't have that irritation, something yeah. bothering it. I've never be a compared pearl. you to Pearl Buck before, but I will from now on. It's like <laughs> an, an amazing, you know. It's and just kind of looks like her. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's mistaken for Pearl Buck. Yeah. but you know what? The fact is that that you know a lot of people. Say, you know, I mean, there were guys that said, you know what, you're not as funny straight as you are. You know, you're not as good. Whatever. I was working on a. Uh, on a, 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 a musical based on this called The Secret Life of Queen Victoria. And I was working with a, a couple of really funny guys and great guys and all. And I think they were saying to me, I remember one of them saying to me at the time, you're not as good loaded as you, uh, sober as you were loaded, which is, you know, the fact is now that I look back on it, I think I was lying to him about being sober then, you know, so that, which, that's a relief. But I wrote in spite of the drugs. I mean, I would get a little bit of sleep. I'd wake up and, and do the work that was good. And the, there would be seven pages of, of just crap from before when I was loaded yeah. and all. And also, it's interesting that I had the kind of career that I did in the 70s when I hadn't crossed the line from abuse to, used to abuse to addiction, but you go jump into the 80s, and I did Ishtar. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, the 70s was, you know, was hey, I like nominated Ishtar. for six Academy Awards. I won one. This, in the 80s, I did Ishtar, you know. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of, you know, that's, you could tell that to kids, and that's pretty much the story of my life, you know. But I also think that you were, if I can, I think that there's, there, and that question always does come up, especially in a lot of the work that we're doing now. And I think you can get away in the beginning with a certain amount of abuse and creativity. But I mean, what's the longevity of a career? It's discipline. And I think just like, you know, you, you did it until you just burned yourself yeah. out, and then yeah. you had to go away and get clean and come back. Yeah. And you can't sustain, look at all yeah. the people who are real drug addicts, they're dead. You know, or they're they're no longer working. It's, it's you can't. That, you got that. You've got to have that discipline at the end of the day, right? Had, you got to show up. Had they up. not been doing drugs, would there have been a Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band? Ooh, good question. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think, as a matter of fact, I think that that Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band probably exists because there was there was enough sobriety in the room to get it done. Oh, because okay. they I weren't think, all doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I think that that you know if you, you if you take George Martin out of the mix, I was just going to say, there is no, there thank, is no Sergeant. Thank, thank God he was there. Yeah. You know, or you look at Lenny yeah. Bruce. You look at anyone who just yeah. just you know. Did, Completely self-destructed. Would Lenny Bruce have stayed gone? If Lenny Bruce hadn't been a drug addict, how long would his career have been? 
What what always got me about like, when they talk about comics like Belushi or Chris Farley, and they'll go, oh, there was the good side of him where he'd run naked down the street screaming at people, but then there was the bad side, the drugs. And you go, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on a second. Let me get out my, my dictionary here and check out what is good That's and what perspective. is bad. That's perspective. Yeah. I wonder if George Carlin say he used to light up a joint just to do the polish when he was, when he was writing comedy. Yeah. And I always wondered if you know a little bit of, sti- of stimulation was not a bad thing as Faulkner, part of the creative Faulkner process. Faulkner wrote, wrote drunk and edited sober, or, or was it the other way That's around? Hemingway. Uh, no, no. Was that Hemingway? Yeah. Wow. What? I was so impressed that I'd used a line about Faulkner, <laughs> what? and then I fucked it up. Wow. What have you condition up? We'll have you was he in when he shot himself? Again. I think fucked up. Oh, okay. <laughs> what condition was he what? When he shot himself. Or certainly depressed. Him. Oh, yeah, certainly depressed. Which <laughs> seems to be... You know, I think, well, it's like any, I think your brain, when you're young, can absorb a certain amount of stuff. And then you hit your middle age, and it goes, time out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Either you get clean, or you're going to die. Exactly. I, so I do think that's it. true. Enough I just think you can't do it. Well, you know. Interesting. Yeah. And now we should concentrate a little bit on your career in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> or lack of drugs. <laughs> I mean, Paul, you became, and, and I, I, I remember it was like, you, you became... During the 70s and 80s, I guess, it was like where you popped up on every single show. Oh, I became, you know, like I was addicted to this. I was addicted to, yeah, America's sweetheart. It's what, I mean, it's, it's, it's t- being different is tough. You know, being special is, in my case, addicting. You know, when I was treated like I was somebody, I went any place where I would be get that treatment. You know, I mean, it, it just plopped down a camera and, and a couch, and I was on that couch. You know, I did Carson 48 times. I, the joke is that I remember six. But the fact is that I became better at showing off than showing up. And my craft suffered, and it's just I, I loved the attention. I loved the attention. I would, and I would have stayed there until I actually burned out every possible, you know, venue of, of being seen. But another addiction outran it, and the addiction that outran it was my addiction to cocaine and alcohol. And that, one of the elements of that disease is, is isolation. And so when 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 the desire to be loved, you know, when what I would call a claptrap, you know, there's a clap. I was in a claptrap. I, you know, I loved, and it's not that kind of clap. It's this kind of clap. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 well, I did a little of both, but the fact is that that I was, I, I fell victim to the clap trap. I loved the attention. I loved the applause. Well, there's a great thing in the documentary, a great moment where after you win the Oscar, the next morning, Circus of the Star of the Stars calls. Yeah, and as they said, they, we did, we searched the Parachute Club of America's record books, and all we're looking for a celebrity that's, that skydives, and you're the only one we could find. It's not you, is it? And I went, yeah, it is. And I was <laughs> like, because I had that moment. I just said, okay, I just won the Oscar. Now what? You know, it's like I, 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 I needed to feel, I needed to be a little more special, a little more different, a little more courageous, a little more whatever. Was it and, thrills, ch- chasing thrills, or just chasing the need to be noticed more? Well, uh, you know, it's like a lot of guys who I thought were absolute assholes and I didn't know what they were talking about said to me, You're probably just trying to uh, like prove that you're a man even though you're short. And I said, That's bullshit. And then I spent thousands of dollars on Kleinian analysis, and my therapist said, you're trying to prove you're a man just because you're, it's like the exact same thing truck drivers have been telling me for years. You know? <laughs> and, and wow. one of your, like, bandmates or something, a musician said to you at one point. Chris Caswell said, yeah. I'm worried about you. I fired him. 
I fired him on the spot. Incidentally, he's working for me still, working with me still. Uh, I, incidentally, I got a, a, an email last night with uh, with our music cues for the podcast, Ms. Jackson. Excellent. But so. it, it is funny with fame. It is one of those drugs yeah. that when you first get it, it's a real high. And then you it's it's not even as big a high afterwards, but you have to keep it. Going like you know, if they tell you to do porn and you go, well, people are going to see it, and I'll still be famous. I took my clothes off in a movie, and they changed the rating from R to PG. It's just insane. <laughs> so insulting. You know? It's just insulting, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I just you know, it's it's addicting. You know, it's totally addicting. Tracy, do you have some of the same issues, and uh, as far as being attracted to show business, that it, was it all about the work, or was there some desire? to, hey, let me get a little taste of this glamour, a little bit of fame. I, you know, I always wanted to be an actress from the time I was very young. You wanted to be Marlo Thomas, right? I wanted to be Marlo Thomas. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to be Marlo Thomas, and I, and I wanted to marry Donald Hollinger. You know, I always wanted to be an actress, and then by around the time I was 27, I wasn't getting the parts that I should have gotten. Mm-hmm. I think there's a moment when you want to do that, and I started to write on a bet, and then within six months, I had a huge agent, and I was writing pilots, and I was had an overall deal, and I... I it, yeah, part of me wanted it, and part of me still likes it, if people know who I am. But it, for it really, for me, then, it just became about the work. I, I'm pretty happy just being able to work every day and, and expressing myself. And if people know who I am, then I'm happy, sure. But I never, you know, I never experienced that enormous kind of fame that it became who I was. I sure. mean, there was one point when I made a documentary, and for about three weeks, I became really, really well-known. And, like, the Inquirer was following my daughter and I around. And I, in that moment, I went... You know, this is not so great. I don't think that this is something that I really want in my life. So, but I never experienced the Paulie experience. But I did always want the. I, I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to be known for what I do. I want, and I think when you, as long as you get to work, it's not even. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little healthier than Paul. But I was going to say, man, I was going to. My, my line was going to be once again, mental health rears but, its you know, ugly head. You I know. think fame or money and, and recognition for your work. They give you the opportunity to do more work. I mean, when she says True Gilbert, I mean, you you, you, you kill it in a club, and then yeah. you get a better club, and then yeah. you get a better... And as long as you keep doing the work, and you don't let that go to your head in a way that corrupts you, you just get to do better work. I think for me, it was just always about the chance to keep working and get to do better work. And if that meant you get to be a little bit better known... That's how you do it. Mental health. Mental health. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of screwy, we too. We should introduce in you to our friend Bill Persky, who created that girl. I've, who, so I've met could... Bill Persky, actually. Go. Yes, I have yeah. met Bill Persky. Since you're so Donald Hollinger and I know. Uh, Anne I Marie just, obsessed. Oh, I would totally. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. And you wrote an episode of Beretta. Yeah, with Paul, Robert what the hell? Blake, I, was I, Hawaii the, I, was, I was on the couch with Robert Blake. I said, I love your show. I'd love to do it sometime. He said, write one. I was the only, <laughs> said later, I was the only one that did, you know. But you, you've, you've, loved, you've acted a bunch through the years and all, and you found a whole thing in voiceover. Is that not the most wonderful? Oh, yes. You know? Yes. Where, where did that start? Just. Oh, okay. Uh, I, 
I guess the Paul is now interviewing Gilbert. Yes. <laughs> I said Paul is he, now interviewing he's Gilbert. He's a better interviewer um, than I am. Yeah, what well, you guys are about no, to launch no, your own I, podcast? I, I, so? It's funny because that's where you slid into like you started acting, but then you slid into. Do you not love doing that? As well? uh, yes, I love doing voiceover yeah. work. I mean, I, I guess what really was okay, the I'm main really, thing. Okay, I'm really. Let me admit something. Yeah. I'm really not interested in your, your voiceover, but I have to admit something. I noticed that like three times Tracy like addressed you and, and took things right back to you, and I thought I'm such an Asshole. I'm just sitting here talking about myself. I think I should probably ask Gilbert something right now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not as self-obsessed as you are, and that's my whole thing about that's having exactly, you think. Exactly. Yeah. So that's you know. So that's what I observed. That's you know. So it was like it was like a mild moment of progress for me, where I said you know because I don't really care about, yeah, about you don't Gilbert. even care about Gilbert that much. At this well, point. no, I do <laughs> care about Gilbert, but I don't. But I don't. I, I don't think there's anything interesting about how he became a voiceover actor. But I was. <laughs> I was horribly guilt-ridden. Refre- this refreshing honesty, Paul. And all I could think about was how many green envelopes does he get from Aladdin? You see, that's the writer we're, in me, right? We're having a moment here. <laughs> Rigorous honesty. Yes. And you know what? That's, that's, you know, that's what I'm most excited about. About us doing a podcast because because you can just do that. I mean, it's what? like you can just take can, over well, and not no, talk to the guests. No, but you can be honest. You can be just totally honest, and it's conversation. And it's real. That's what's a treat about sitting here. Beyond the fact that we have, get to talk about my favorite subject, me, you. me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 I just I and that's what I'm most looking forward to is just talking is about just, you. Well, well not, I'm not going to let you. So no, okay. was, no, I know that. No, but just conversation. You know, an honest that. conversation. Apparently. Honest conversation. Well, Brent, you know, since you brought it up. That's that's recovery. So tell us tell us about the show since you brought it up and we don't. You haven't we have launched it yet. Start, no, tomorrow we we so, go off to we go tonight. Podcast one. Give us a date since this we don't know when this will we'll run. This it won't airs, be tomorrow. It, yeah, it, it, Tuesday, June 9th will be our first podcast on Podcast One. Weekly. We're Gratitude and Trust Weekly. We're starting out weekly. Great. You guys are weekly, right? Yeah. We oh, are. Yeah. You're weekly. Very weekly. Very weekly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Hey, hey, Tracy's a fan of the podcast, Gil. She I've, listens. Really? I, I binged. Oh, boy, I've, I've been binging it. Uh, yeah. You're and sweet. Paul hates it? Nope. No. No, but Paul, well, Paul he hasn't been know, on it yet. Paul Once he's on Paul it, he'll listen. To, Paul can't find his car keys. You want, me to find, <laughs> you want me to find a link to the podcast? And, you know, you know it's like, I'll go, I, have let's a, listen I, to Gil, I have Gil, a great Gil. memory. I'd like you to meet her. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> I'll say, let's listen to Gilbert. He'll go, let's listen to the Nerdist. We're on there. I go, well, soon we'll be on Gilbert. Then we come. Yeah, 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 exactly. I love it. Okay, and it's called Gratitude. Gratitude and Trust. Gratitude and Trust. Based on the book. Based on the book. The concept of the book was that recovery is not just just for addicts. You know, and it's interesting. As we went around and started talking about the book and everything, there's a a kind of a connection that the two of us have that – that people would say, you, the two of you ought to be doing a show, you ought to be doing a show. And, and all of a sudden, the idea for a podcast came up. Well, that's we- actually, actually, I realized how many books it took to get on the New York Times bestseller list. When, when, the, the week we got on the bestseller list. And then I realized sold how many. eight books that week. I, I, and I realized how many, <laughs> even a not a successful podcast, how many hits you get. Yeah. I went, let's do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the new thing. The new thing, yeah. yeah so, so we're called Norm Pat. Well, welcome. Thank deal. you. Thank you. Well, well, I'm learning from you guys. His I think brain. You pick What's in his better. brain, Gilbert? This is what I want. What's in his brain? <laughs> That's what I'd like to find out. <laughs> you don't want to know, yeah, Tracy. Yeah. You don't want I to mean, know. I mean, the the memory is. I listen to these podcasts, and he'll be like, you know, Marie Osmond showed up on the lot wearing a pink dress, and she yeah. marched in the third. It's too know, much. Like, it's like insane. It's too much. How long well, were you on the View? How long did you work on the View? Uh, two years. Yeah, a little over two. That's, That's where, where we met. met. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I loved what your performance, and you introduced me to your co-writer for uh, the the gentleman who co-wrote um, Rainbow Connection was with oh, you. Oh, Kenny Ashton. Kenny, Kenny was in the dressing room. Exactly. Yeah. Kenny uh, and I wrote a bunch of songs together. Why time. are there so many songs about <laughs> rainbows and what's on the other side? <laughs> Again, John Vander. Rainbows <laughs> are visions, <laughs> but only illusions. Rainbows have nothing, nothing to Okay, I'll do well. Nelson, you do okay. me. Okay. Oh, great. <laughs> so we've been told, and so it's too high. Why, why are there so many songs so about rainbows? rainbows. What's on? on the other side? <laughs> rainbows are visions, only illusions. Rainbows, rainbows have, nothing have nothing to hide. So we've been told, and some choose to believe to it. Believe it. <laughs> I know the wrong way to say. One day we'll find it. The rainbow connection. The lovers, <laughs> the dreamers, <laughs> and me. You do what you do. I will never speak again. You just ruined your voice, Paul. Wow. Okay, interview me. You be Gilbert, right, and, right. and and I'll be Paul. All right, I'll be I'll be Gilbert. So, <laughs> what'd you have for breakfast? Well, I had some scrambled eggs <laughs> and some orange juice. <laughs> Is it true you're as well endowed as they say you are? No, no, my penis is quite tiny. <laughs> That's not what I heard. Oh, Lord. It's barely. I heard they called you the log. The legend of the log. <laughs> that has been nicknamed the Enterprise. <laughs> no, no. It's barely visible to the human eye. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about my talent. I thought we were talking about your talent. That's <laughs> oh. a cock. <laughs> Now you've done it. You got Paul Williams working blue, Gil. Yes. Now, now can we? Oh, I wish you would do blue. this more often. May I talk about my boards now? <laughs> the uh, what did you call them earlier? I, I have burglar ball. Oh yeah, I said yeah, balls of a burglar. Balls of a burglar. Yeah, <laughs> for going through that jungle in the Philippines. I will steal for sure. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of your songwriting. <laughs> The segues are not easy to make. <laughs> you mean from cop to songwriting? That was like a hard... Well, I just want to ask a question about the Rainbow Connection. You said one line in the song may be the best line you've ever written. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered of wished on a morning star? The line is, somebody thought of that, and someone believed it. Look what it's done so far. It's great. And, uh, God, I can't hear after doing Gilbert's voice. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> like, I think I, I feel every week. my inner ear that is now, you know, suddenly wants to... <laughs> Stand up. I don't know. It's what it weird. Uh, yeah, I think that thoughts become things. I think that in, that you know that I'm a I'm very Jiminy Cricket about the life I've been given and the way this whole thing has evolved. Thank and, you, Darren. And and, uh, and and I haven't really chased 
you know, much of, of what's happening to me right now and all of the last 25 years, my concentration has been on my recovery and all. And it's kind of and, and wonderful things have happened. Tracy's a classic example. I mean, she heard me say that my choo runs on gratitude and trust. And she came up with a whole idea for the book and a way to share on this message and all and everything. So there's the older I get, the less and less I feel like I have to do with with the creation of the best things in my life. It feels like it really is is at this point all a gift. And uh, and it's not funny, but it's but it's a really really wonderful comforting feeling to know that you can just get up in the morning and and be led to what you're supposed to do that day if you listen. You know. Well, the scene in the movie where you go to the Philippines and and I believe it's a shot of a bus boy who knows the words. Oh, to to God. one of your songs, what I call a heart payment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mike Ness, we had Mike yeah. Nesmith on the show, who we know you know, and he was talking yeah. about why he comes never out. liked him. What? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. No, sorry, I had an attack of the Gilbert. Interesting. <laughs> I Say it in my voice. Yeah, I, I never liked him. Like that. I think you should be more Gilbert. I think we're gonna have to like do that. Exactly. Make you more Gilbert. Yeah. Oh, I love Mike. He, was, he you know, it's so talented too. He was just talking about gratitude, about how the faces of the monkeys fans that even though there are parts of the monkeys that didn't mean that much to him or he didn't appreciate yeah. it while it was while it was happening he looks into the eyes of people that it was such an important part of their lives a huge part of their lives yeah and it just yeah, he does feel the same kind of really, gratitude really good songwriter too a oh sure songwriter. different drum the band was a big hit i actually had a song that was supposed to be a big hit and they on the b-side someday man to the band and they turned it over and played his side you know but i, I forgive him because it was really because you got paid for the b-side too you know so but yeah, you know his mother invented whiteout. We had a, yeah. we had a whole yeah. interview yeah. with him about it. About the yeah. Liquid paper, liquid you know, paper. Yeah, yeah, Mike's, Mike's true. The two great no's in my life, two important no's in my life, is I was I auditioned for the Mouseketeers and the Monkeys, and they both turned me down, which was a real gift. Oh Lord, was that a gift? You would have made a kick-ass monkey. I mean, a kick-ass yeah. Mouseketeer rather. I'd have been a better Mouseketeer. You would have been a monkey. great Mouseketeer. Do you think Thank the you. Monkeys would have ruined you, uh, your career? We're talking about singing or sex. Wait, uh, wait, <laughs> wait, so that's just well, over the edge. I mean, would it? No, because no, no, no. I mean, they became so big. Oh, it would, at yeah. One point. Well, you know what? It would have, in a way, it would have done what what you know what being an entertainer did did for my craft. Because I think, as I said earlier, that you know that 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 need to to get the, all that attention pulled me away from songwriting. And I, I, there's no way in the world that I could have become a songwriter with and being one of the monkeys. That was a full time job, you know. So yeah, it was. It was. It would have been. It would not have been good for me. It was great for Davy. It was. They already had one little guy, and a, a little guy with a big talent. You know. And Tracy, and, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Go. No, no. I was going to say in in the film in the biography, you see people come up to you who are crying yeah. at your concert, and it's it's funny. Like the first instinct I have is always like oh god are they pathetic look at the crying over some entertainer and blah 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 and then you get that feeling you get the second thought of like wow he means this much to their lives and it's it's like a nice thing he has a real core group of like Oh, I shouldn't say this. I'm like Gilbert's. <laughs> what oh, the I fuck? They're like, I mean, they're like, they're like, the no, they're, they're like middle age. They, they fall between, say, 50 and 60. They're usually really overweight and they tend to be single. This is true, right? And they kind of follow you around. They just show up in an airport. You can always see them from a mile away. Is that true? It is kind of they're your core always group. beautiful and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've just lost so many friends. Oh, my God. It's just, you know, the but thing is, look, it's like, it's. What's there's I just I, I actually tweeted a great quote this morning that applies and it was uh, 
You can't read your tweets on the oh, I know, I know. I, I, it's, I'm having a senior moment. I can't remember what, what it was, but it was perfect for that. It's not, and it's it's uh, the Larry David show. Oh, no, 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 wait. <laughs> Never mind. Let's. I'll, I'll be back. They're in not all overweight. I'm, I'm go, taking I'm it back. For, I'm I'm feeling go, guilty about the fashion. I'm going to go look for my conscious mind. I'll be <laughs> so, right back. So some are thin. Gilbert's rubbing this, off this on This is you off drugs. <laughs> but there was some brain damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there was a few. You know, a little few, bit. A little bit of a few neurons aren't quite synced up. No, but you know, the fact is that 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 there's there is a. A bunch of Paul Williams fans that fall into the description that that she speaks of, and I think I wrote a lot because I wrote a lot about loneliness and and heartache and and feeling like you didn't fit in. I think there's that kind of emotion underneath a lot of the songs. There's a lot of people in this world that feel that way, you know. Well, yeah, because you wrote all all of your songs seem to be like that, like you know, someone being lonely. Ouch, mommy just, songs. Yeah. Well, rainy days and Mondays was part in part inspired by your mom. You know, we uh, my mom used to tell you she would talk to herself. She would, you know, she would go, "God has a plan for you, my son." And then she'd walk off. One day she'd find me write, write my little songs in the morning. I'd be sitting there. She'd go to work, you know, and and uh, she'd say, "Don't worry, my son. God has a plan." And then she she walked up. You'd hear, "Son of a bitch, I hope so." She'd talk to herself, and I'd ask her about it, and she'd say, "Which for her was a word." Yeah, I'm just feeling old. So. And Roger Nicholas plays a beautiful melody for me, and I hear, what am I going to write about? And I remember the, my mom and talking to myself and feeling old. But that's a song where it took, we wrote that, most of that song, and it took me probably a month to figure out what I was going to do to not just be down, because they didn't want the song to just be a downer. And then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, funny, but it seems I always wind up here with you. Nice to know somebody loves me. And I, and it, I found a way to make it positive, which I think is, is kind of a, a, a feature in most of my songs, too, that... They have a positive outcome. Yeah, and and I'm listening. I'm sure. going. He does a terrible Paul Williams. I was going to say, I'd like to hear Gilbert sing that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your Gilbert doing? It's no getting over here. <laughs> my smallest dreams won't come true. That's the way you remember me. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't sound that way anymore. Talking you know, my, the sinus is cleared up. I'm you know. feeling old. Sometimes I'd like to quit. Nothing ever seems to fit. Hanging around. Not some kind of lonely clone. See, what I love is the fact that you know the words to these songs. He which does. Is really touching. He's to a me. fan. Thank you. Why that's do I feel like I this call, is going to end up in his act that's pretty what I soon? Call he's a like heart heart payment, You know, that's he knows the words to all these songs. <laughs> Even if he's making he's fun of you, it's okay. Is, Any attention ins, is good attention. Inside Gilbert is an overweight, fifty-five-year-old <laughs> sing, single woman, and that's why he's a huge success. He didn't pull these out for you, Paul. With a lot of cats. Yeah. I'll, I'll direct you to earlier episodes where he was doing, where he just we just got into Paul Williams songs and he just started singing. Oh, I love that. So I he didn't he you. didn't just trot this out because you're here. Wow. He's actually obsessed. <laughs> well, we're together again. Days are short and the nights grow colder. Some people get twice, but you just got older and you never listened anyway. That's the hell of it. Oh my God, man <laughs> with a pair of eyes. Good for nothing, bad in Told bed. Some <laughs> Nobody, Nobody likes you and you better off dead. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. goodbye. Oh we all came to say goodbye. Oh my God. <laughs>
Oh, I love it. I love it. I would have paid to be here today. Uh, <laughs> me too. Me and too. Did, did, uh, did We've Only Just Begun really begin as a bank jingle? Had a, all, all the, the romantic beginnings of a bank commercial. It did. Roger Nichols and I were asked to write the song. We wrote the song for this pretty little commercial. And Richard Carpenter called and asked if there was a whole song. The number one album at the time was in Agata de Vida. There's no way in the world that Butterfly. song was going to be right. a hit song until an angel sang it. And when Karen sang it, people responded. So Richard Carpenter saw the bank the commercial? The bank commercial recognized my voice. So I was singing the commercial. You know, Incredible. We've only just begun. <laughs> <laughs> we've only just begun to live what lesson promises. A kiss for look and we're all... Is it Paul Williams or is it Memorex? <laughs> is it Paul Williams or is Are it Godly? We, we've only just begun. Biner, listen to yourself. <laughs> John Biner, we should get John Biner for the show. And Tracy, show. speaking of writing you you uh you were a neil simon fan and uh how did you you, you started out wanting to be an actress how do you the make the jewish tra- elvis yes the jewish how do you make the transition into writing i well the truth the truth is there was this lesbian who was in love with me <laughs> i like it already right there we should devote the entire show to this story and no this it's, it's a very true story and she's dead so i can tell the whole story there was this lesbian who had a lot of money who was in love with me and she was a producer in her spare time and she also decided that she wanted to be straight so she fell in love with derek jacoby who's like the gayest person in england oh, and she jacoby. was gonna produ- and she was producing shows for him so at one point she said to me because i was funny and i wasn't getting any acting work and she wanted to sleep with me she said you should write, and if you write a play, I'll produce it on Broadway. Well, I was 27 years old. I thought, I can, you know, sit down and do this. So I thought, yeah, yeah, I want a Broadway show. I'm not going to sleep with her, but I want the Broadway show. So I kind of, anyway, so I sat down, and in three weeks, I wrote a play. And somewhere in the middle of the play, I just realized, this is what I should do. And then she got mad at me at lunch a couple weeks later and just sort of walked out of my life, but I had a play. And... And you know, it, it, it someone saw it at ICM and they took me on and within a year I was sitting under a palm tree in Hollywood with a deal with Bud Grant at you know who just left CBS and I had my own show on the air within a year and a half after that. So it was really fast. It just sort of happened. But Dave, if, if this girl, it, it, it's how do things happen? That literally was the way it happened. I think if she hadn't said do it, I don't know what I would have done. I would probably be working at a Red Lobster right now. Well, you both, you're both people who started pursuing acting. Yeah. yeah Paul, too. Paul, you wanted to be Mon- Montgomery Clift. And both started writing at like 27, which is really Well, I think there's this age. I was having dinner with a friend the other night, and their son was starting to give up acting, and he's 30. I went, well, you know, you get to this age, and you go, okay, maybe it's time that I'm a grown-up. Yeah, I mean, if I haven't made... I'd actually been in a film called Heartburn that Mike Nichols put me in, uh, and... I went and I shot the scene with Meryl Streep, and then the next day I was standing in line at Equity waiting for some, you know, roadshow production of a Beth Henley play or something. And I realized I can't, I, I don't, I can't live like this. Yeah, you know, this is this is a terrible life. So, you know, writing that was it. Then I've been writing ever since. Why didn't you sleep with her? <laughs> she just wasn't my type. She was really bossy, and Good I'm answer. the only bossy one in the room. <laughs> Well, make part something of me up right there. You know, part of me went, wait a minute. Why didn't you? 
Could you make I something? I also didn't know that we that you started. We both started writing. I've, at only, I've never told that story before. You've actually, because she's dead. Like, well, she's now, dead. I can say it. Isn't yeah. isn't twenty seven the age, the magic age when people die? Rock stars die. Yeah. 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 Janis Joplin yeah. and uh, yeah, there must be more. Oh yeah, pretty, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Twenty seven. I'll Google it. Magic you die or a lesbian falls what, in love with you. What's his name with the guitar? Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Who? Dar- a bunch of for, famous for, rock stars all died at 27. Uh, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. Our, our research team yeah, is on exactly. it. Thank you, yeah. Dara. How old was James Dean? How old was Kurt Cobain, too? James Dean, maybe. Maybe younger. Yeah, I don't know. There you go. Yeah, 27 club. Now, now Jesus made it to 33. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty old. That's the rumor. But he yeah. wasn't yeah. singing. Exactly. exactly yeah. Thank God he Had he been in a band. <laughs> <laughs> James oh Dean God. was 24. 24. Thank you, Dara. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. Was, that whole fast car thing. Fast you go, you, you thing, go sooner. Yeah. yeah. And was not interviewed on the Joe Franklin show with Al Pacino. Oh, yes. Joe Franklin came on. And, you know, Joe Franklin uh, talks about himself quite a bit in his day when he was. And he would have these stories saying that. Oh, on, on on one of my shows, I had on both James Dean and, and Al Pacino. Uh, and uh, we did the math, and Al Pacino <laughs> would have been 10 at the time. God, <laughs> exactly. lo- God love you, Joe. <laughs> Joe. Well, but he just didn't, you know. Well, those cards get, you know, get moved around up sure. in the later years. I'm observing some of that myself. <laughs> Already. So speaking of acting, Paul, yeah. you wanted to be Monty Clift. And I've looked, looked, I always joked that I felt like Montgomery Cliff and I looked like Haley Mills. That was, the, you know, that was and it was really, really hard so to get. So you could have done Parent Trap. I could That's have done true. Parent Trap. It would have been great. Exactly. And you, you wanted to be a movie star, really. Yeah, I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be a movie star. I wanted, you know, I wanted, you know, I, yeah, I, I, did, I loved Montgomery Cliff. My two favorite actors in the world had totally different styles. They were Spencer Tracy and Montgomery Cliff. I just, I mean, I, watching, watching them, I just, I wanted, that's what I wanted. I know I didn't, I think of, you know, I, I didn't want to be me. More than wanting to be an actor, I didn't want to be Paul Williams. And that's the, you know, that's the, the yeah, a little time on the couch has, you know, took me finally to that point of view. So, once again, a fascinating story about my childhood. That, no, you know, I, I think Peter Sellers said something very similar in an interview that, he he wanted to be somebody else. He was always better at being someone sure, else. Sure, sure. Yeah, playing ourselves is weird. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's if Yana said it takes me like two days to lose what I call it, losing my hands. You know, if I get an acting job because there's a lot of space in between the acting jobs, there's about two days where I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to sit. I don't know how to walk. You know, <laughs> it's called, and I I call it losing my hands. And you know what I'm talking about? Oh yes. Just like, okay, yeah. this is really simple. This is just an establishing shot. We want you to get out of the car, walk over, walk in, and and walk up to the counter where you'll have a conversation. We'll pick it up there. Okay, walk from the car to the counter. You turn into Jerry you Lewis. Turn into that. Yeah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. You know. Uh, but yeah, I think you know that I, I looking back, I, I just I didn't know how to be me, and I certainly didn't feel much of anything in those days. I, before I drank alcoholically, I acted alcoholically, and the way an alcoholic acts is he just doesn't feel stuff; he avoids it. You know? He avoids it, which I did. 
I don't think people who know you know you as a songwriter are, are aware of the fact that you were also a child actor. That was, you were. Well, I was in my twenties when I was playing children. You know, that's, right, that, but that's I mean, what. Well, that's what yeah, I meant. The, uh, I, you know, I played a thirteen-year-old when I was in my early twenties, and the loved one I played the boy Jesus. The loved one, right? Yeah. I and mean, you weren't Gary Coleman or anything. No, I wasn't Gary <laughs> Coleman. We, and, Gilbert and, and I loved the loved one. Jonathan Winters in it. Yeah, and, and, and Sir Rod John Gilbert. Yeah, Rod Steiger. Uh, 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 James Coburn was had a small part. It was just an amazing cast and all. Sir John Gilbert right. and all, huge, huge. And here cast. you're a kid from the Midwest walking onto a movie well, you set. Walk onto that set, and you see that big old Panavision camera and Haskell Wexler and all these people. And it's like, oh my god. And and Frank and I were talking before that you are in a movie with Robert Duvall. That's the chase, Marlon, yeah. with Marlon Brando, Jane Fonda, Robert Duvall, Arthur Penn, little Arthur Penn director. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually on the set. Was was playing with a guitar. I had I shared a dressing with a guy that had a nice guitar, and, and so I picked up his guitar. He said, "Don't mess with that. That's a Martin." I said, "Oh, okay." You know, I went and got a little guitar, painted it so it would look good. It was brilliant, and I started just doodling. I, I actually doodled a little song in that movie that Robert Duvall said, "Come here and show it to to uh, to the director." And Arthur Penn filmed it and put it in the movie before I was a songwriter. It was just doodling. It's doodling. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. The That's, big amigo led that, me to it. You'd credit that with kicking off a musical well, career. You know, it's a billboard. It's like yeah. one of those, you know, one of those moments where you kind of you look back at your life and before you, when you know, before you know, from the other, looking from the other end, young to old, you'd never see it, and I certainly didn't. But looking back, you go, "Oh my God, there's a billboard there." There's, you know, you you know, you scratch out two lines of a silly little song and they stick it in a movie. Wait a minute. Maybe you should examine the idea of being a songwriter. You know, it took another couple of years to get to that. And that brought the room to an absolute. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, you know, and ladies and gentlemen, that's what we like to call room tone. I think we need Gilbert to sing a little little bit of Someday Man now. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. He doesn't know that one. (laughs) Okay. Tracy, you were you said you were a Paul Williams fan. So, what were you a fan of before years before you met Paul? Was it the was it the movies? Was it the songs? No, I just it was the songs. Was there something I mean, about I, him? Well, that... I was like I was a fat girl. I mean, and I was sitting in my room, and I think, and I had a screwed up childhood, and you know, Paul sang to that part in people. Loneliness. Gilbert, can you sing a couple rounds of loneliness? <laughs> loneliness? Do you know How loneliness? Does loneliness? Wait, I can't see I can't sing or I would but you know, his songs really did speak to that part of you that was that was sad. Yeah. You know, and I think sad people related to Paul. And, and so I was sad. And I remember seeing him on probably Mike Mike Douglas, probably Merv Griffin, because I couldn't stay up that late in those days to see you on Carson. And I just remember thinking this guy's really fucking funny. I probably didn't say fuck then. I might have been eight years old, but I thought it. And I she just didn't say fuck till she was maybe like nine. nine. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> I have not stopped. But I remember thinking he's just hysterically funny, and so, and I would stay up late to watch him on Carson. Yeah, sometimes me too. And sneak it, you know. And, and I don't know what it was about. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I'm kind of a believer in like things are sometimes meant to be. Anyway, so there was always, and I used to see him. I went to see him at the Universal Amphitheater, and I slugged my grandmother in the middle of the concert. And which is on tape. She, which is on tape. She left tape, me there. Sit recorder trying to record me and gets in an argument with her grandmother. And, and, and I slug her. I give me my phone. <laughs> I slug my grandmother. Sent me home the next day. Grandmother, um, elder abuse. Uh, elder abuse at, at the age of 13 listening to Paul and Helen Reddy. But, yeah, I just had always related. To, I, You know, I liked Barry Manilow, too. So I, 
you and know, Neil Diamond, you confess too. Neil Diamond. Yeah. See, like Barry Manilow also seems to get like like a cult following. Yeah, he does. Of people following from city to city. Because they're songs for the lonely hearts, but kind of like, kind of like yeah. some of Paul's so, compositions. So yeah, so I just that was it. You know, that was my, and then it kind of went away. And I always liked the music. I've always liked Paul's music. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. Now there's Paul. Yeah, and, and you know you're an underrated comedian. I mean, you're you're, you're known for being a songwriter and a singer, but you've got a. If you allow me to say, you've got a knack for comedy. Well, life is funny. You know, at I least mean, some. At least one of us has yeah. a knack for. Comedy. <laughs> yeah, I would never say that about him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah life. Yeah, life is funny. Is, life. In, is there an ear an ear for humor? Sort of like an ear for music. Do you have to? Do you have to be able to hear it? Do you have to be able to hear the rhythm I, of a joke? I, and I have no idea. I, I mean, it's like it's, uh, I just think life is funny, and I love and I love funny, and I love sharp funny. I love you know. I lo- you talk about Carla, and you talk about mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Reading Judd's book, Judd Apatow's book. I mean, he talks about he, he wrote a, a luggage. He wrote a, 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 a Gilligan's Island joke when he was like ten or something, and I read it and I went, "Oh my god!" I mean, the joke was if they were only going on a three day trip, why did they have all that luggage? Right. You know? Three hours. It was right. a three, three hour, hour tour. Three, three, hour, three, hour, three hour, hour tour. Right. Well, it, I I heard that Mel Brooks when he was auditioning for his films, he wanted the actors to sing. He wanted to hear if they were musical because of the rhythm. Yeah, yeah I think there's a like connection. The Marx Brothers, old yeah. musical. Uh, and I I always thought like uh, who's on first had a real yeah. catchy musical sure. sound yeah, sure. to it. But watching I think some- you hear it or you don't. I, I, I don't think, don't you think, Gilbert, you can't teach people to be funny. No. I remember when I used to teach screenwriting for years. You just, yeah, you can teach people technique, but either you hear funny in your head like music or you don't. That's the way it's yeah. always been yeah. for me. Either I, you hear, and if someone goes off one beat, if they're reading something you've written, it's like you play a musical instrument and you're off one chord. It screws the whole thing up, right? Yeah. Yeah, Isn't it, it true with a joke? It, I mean, one beat and the whole thing oh, falls flat. Oh, yeah, I mean, it can, be yeah. a fl- it can be a nanosecond and it falls flat. Well, I, that, that's why I always love to talk about the uh, uh, Abbott and Costello TV movie where Buddy Hackett and, <laughs> and um, oh, Harvey, Corman. Harvey Corman were doing Abbott and Costello. And, and the bits were like completely off. They weren't funny. Yeah. And the whole thing that makes it so addictive, sorry, <laughs> di- yeah. but um, so what makes it addiction. addictive, yeah, is with like like a who's on first or anything like that where it's so musical. Yeah, yeah the you rhythm. Just, yeah. The rhythm and the That's, timing. Yeah. But like watching a comedy piece, and I did a lot of research, and watching you go on The Tonight Show in your Planet of the Apes costume. And your makeup, <laughs> and you sing. If I'm if I'm correct, here comes that rainy day. Yeah, yeah. The timing, the way you're waiting, the way you're taking pauses. I mean, I, it, I'm watching a comedian. I don't think I'm watching a musician. I'm very. I, I'll tell you what I'm proud of about that appearance is, is I had a line that, that I thought that I still think is funny, and it still gets a big laugh. Is Carson asked me when he look, touches my oh, yeah. my orangutan face, he says, "This is for a movie," and I said, "No, this is six months of nothing but banana daiquiris." <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, well, now, now here's here's great something. Line. It's a great line. It's in the doc. You've you've acted with and and been friends with um, Pat McCormick. Oh. Can you tell us a famous story uh, that had to do with a helicopter? Pat McCormick. No, the, or the, or the helicopter with Pat McCormick. Are you yes. Thinking about, are you thinking about uh, Sid Caesar with the helicopter? Oh, I uh, no, I heard uh, it with Pat McCormick. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a Sid Caesar version. Oh, the aerial photo is the aerial. Oh, the, oh, yeah. Oh, even Tracy knows the story. No, I know every story. Exactly. I know every story. Go ahead, you do it. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the story for you. You you do it. Yeah, come on, Tracy. See if it works with you doing it. All right, let's see if I can do it. All right, so you and Pat McCormick are. You, you meet and you go to a bar and you spend the entire night in a All bar night and you're shit-faced drunk, the two of you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. And you stumble out of the bar and it's in Burbank and it's sort of at daylight and you just, you can't see and, you, and, and Pat McCormick looks down at you and he says, you look like an aerial photograph of a human being. Yeah. Now and that's not, the, oh, that's not the story. That's a good one. Yeah. That's not the story. You look like an aerial photograph of a human being. And, and, I, and then he says to me... Well, I wasn't there. I didn't know his inflections. Oh, oh, but No, but, the, but... Which made me love him, of course. He offers a lot of shade. I also like that. But the, the, he looks... He said, you know what, little guy? I don't remember where I parked my car. You're going to have to help me find where I parked my car. I said, okay. What kind of a car is it? And he went, oh, no. That would be cheating. <laughs> Pat and I in a helicopter. I, you know, I'm. No, no. This, I can't this, imitate a drunk because I never drank. This is the story I heard. If it's true, this will be and, funny. And well, actually, I think it may be true because I met Tim Conway, and I was once working with him, and I said, "I know a story about Pat McCoy." And without even completing the name, he goes helicopter. And I heard that he and a bunch of his pals would get together once a year. And try to outdo each other with like uh, the part, the the dinners they throw for each other, yeah. and each one would have a more elaborate, expensive, fancier dinner. And then one time they got everyone in a van, uh, McCormick, and he had them took them out to a heliport, and each one, one by one, was given a bag with a tuna sandwich and an apple. And they said, you know, what the hell's this? And they were put on a helicopter with a hooker. And the helicopter was instructed to circle their house as the hooker was blowing them. Wow. I wish I'd known him then. You were not invited on that journey. I, you know, I think that might have been before we were pals, you know, or... You know what? That son of a bitch held out on me. I knew there was something there. Oh my God, sweets! Why would you not do that with me? You know, you were a great uh, team. a sandwich and a blowjob, and you missed yeah, out. Exactly. Boy, Paulie. Exactly. Wow. He was big Enos to your little Enos. In, he was big uh, Enos to Smokey and Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey the Bandit, one, two, and even worse. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I mean, to this day, you get off a plane in Nashville or in in, in Dallas, and or or you go into a senator's office, you know, on the hill, and the little you little Enos Burdett. God, I love those movies. <laughs> we had no idea. They oh still. Oh my God! Live. Walking through an airport with him in the South. Yeah, we've. It we've is done not that. fun. Yeah. And, and getting back to Robert Blake, because uh, I remember he eventually, I think he caught on that. He then hated Carson for bringing him on because Robert Blake always had like kind of emotional problems. These stems and those. Yeah, uh, and and he felt like Carson was just using him as like this nutty guy. Yeah, I never, I didn't, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't have a real relationship with Blake. I saw him a few times through the years. We were always friendly and all. There was a certain point. Where where he uh, I ran into him one time with I was with uh, 
I just realized it's a story I can't tell because it's it's involved something else. But you, you know, and yeah, in other words, this is a story without an ending. Take it. Didn't he kill? Okay. <laughs> Didn't Robert Blake kill somebody? Didn't he Alleg- kill somebody? Allegedly. He allegedly. allegedly. Who yeah. did he His allegedly? wife. His wife. Bonnie. Yeah. Somebody. Bonnie. Right. Bonnie. And he's dead. No, Robert's no, with Robert us. Yeah. But he's Robert not in jail. I'm no, really confused a, yeah. about the whole He was acquitted. Well, it's L.A. Yeah. So he was acquitted. And, uh, it was kind of he pulled. He, but he, he sort of pulled a Phil Spector or not? I don't know, uh, but not quite. Well, Phil, we don't know, you know, but he's in jail. And you can't get Phil's uh, in the Great Bar Hotel. Say it either. It's like uh, we let's don't know. Back away from that story. And yeah. Frank knows all of you. Okay, yeah. but, yeah, but I was he, right that there was like a little thing about like someone died. What well, was his wife? Yeah, yeah well, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, but he was acquitted, so he's also, still on our guest list. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, I think you should interview him. <laughs> oh, I would love to. Yeah. Does he do interviews? No. I don't Let's think Let's talk so. about something safer. Okay. How about Claudine Langer? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what the? Oh, Spider Savage. Oh, because she killed. Oh, yes, she, she killed. Right. By accident. By accident. Yes. So she celebrity was a... deaths for 100. She got off the hook too, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and so did William Shatner. I'll take Tracy Jackson to blog. Oh, well, the Shatner thing. Oh, you That's... think you think the swimming The swimming pool thing? What was the thing in the swimming pool? She drowned in the swimming oh, pool. Oh, she just drowned. Yeah. So she just needed swimming lessons. <sighs> Yeah, but if he would tell the swimming lesson. <laughs> the, show, the show has taken an ugly turn. <laughs> it's turned into Hollywood babble. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who is the guy? Oh, Frank will know this. Yeah. Who is the guy from SNL and his wife? He did kill his wife. Tony Rosado. No, someone else. No, the an comedian. Actor, the comedian. But he never actually no, killed No, the comedian was killed by a no. Comedian was killed by his wife, Phil. Him. Oh, well, he's in jail. And he killed. He was in jail. Oh, he's out now. Now he's talking about it. Put him on the guest list. He's in jail. No, he's out. Who's who's in jail? Who was in jail? Who are you referring to, Tracy? Tony Rosado. Tony Rosado is a comic from Second City who became an SNL guy. He was on SNL. He was Phil. You're talking about Phil who was killed by oh Phil Hartman. Oh no, the wife. Yeah, the wife shot him. And then shot. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, it's hard to keep all these things straight. Yeah, he was sleeping and she yeah. shot him and yeah. then shot herself. Yeah. All it's right. That valley, <laughs> that valley, that San Fernando Valley will do bad things to your head. Yeah. I'm telling you. Once Stay you, out of Encino. Once you get north of Moore yeah. Park. Uh, it, like, really. All bad, all bad shit Encino happens. Encino and you just lose it. You start killing people. It's like a post office, like a big post office out there. We're winding down, but I'm going to ask Paul about Ishtar. Which I love. Now, please don't tell me that you're 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 disowning it because it was part of your oh, last no, decade. Oh no, I'm so proud of it. I'm so <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, it was it was like I think I worked 18 months on it. You know, I think I spent the first year of it trying to get Warren to tell me I had the job. You know, Warren Beatty was like, we just you know it, it, it was write something that 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 you know write these songs, these intentionally bad songs, to be sung by Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman with a screenplay, a really hilarious screenplay. By Elaine May, right, and, Elaine, and May. Elaine was going to direct, and it was just it was an amazing opportunity to to work on something that was. And I kept writing songs. I couldn't get Elaine to tell me what she wanted, you know. And she said, "I'll I'll know when I see it." She did that with the actors. She'd do take after take after take. I'll, what do you want? I, I'll know when I see it. And I would write stuff and write stuff and write stuff, and and you know, and and I, by then I was on salary. It was a, you know, it was great. Columbia was pumping money into my bank account, and and I, I finally I wrote a song. I wrote. Uh, 
Uh, a song called The Lawnmower Can Do All That. It's great. <laughs> Saturday morning, the sound of a lawnmower touches my soul, touches my soul, brings back the memory of first summer love of Ella and me, that a lawnmower can do all that, that a lawnmower right. can do all that, that a lawnmower can do all that. It's amazing. Got to read Sing the Bridge. I can see you're standing in the backyard of my mind. She cracks her knuckles and the scab that's on her knee won't go away. I can see the woman waiting in her eyes, and I can see the love, but I can't see the Brooklyn Dodgers in L.A. That a lawnmower can do all And Elaine May went, that's what I'm looking for. And I was off and running. It was a great job. It was not hard to write a bad song, intentionally write a bad song? Oh, no. Au contraire. I would say that to write a believably bad song, to write a song that starts out great that you then screw up, uh, telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. Great. Pretty good up to there. If you admit that you can play the accordion, no one will hire you in a rock and roll band. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, where did they go? You know. I saw the film recently. Lane May came out at the 92nd Street Y and showed the film, and it's it's unfairly maligned. I mean, yeah. the press attacked it because she ran over budget and because she ran over schedule, but it's funny. And we, and West Jack Weston's great. Charles Grodin's great. It's so funny. I urge our listeners to to, to look at Ishtar. Tracy and I went out to uh, where was it they had the the, the Astoria uh, the, the Film Academy in Astoria yeah, the, yeah, the uh, Film Museum Film Museum exactly and moving images or whatever and and I hadn't seen Elaine since we did it but but we were able to spend a little bit of time with her and it was it was great and all and of course the other side of it is that, that is that Tracy was friends with Mike Nichols and all and you actually introduced me to Mike when he was interviewed by Judd Apatow. So. That's true, but I don't have any. I can you don't have any Mike Nichols stories. Not that are funny. Oh, yeah. no. Well, you're I've a never... screenwriter. I mean, what do you, what did you think of Ishtar? I mean, is it, it it's not entirely successful, but there are some really great things in it. The songs are good, and the songs are damn good. <laughs> what was that guy who should? No, uh, no, uh, yeah, no. I, I think Ishtar is funny. I, there's no question. I mean, it's no Saturday Night. Fever, but no, it's a very, it is a funny film. It is a funny film. I did. I mean, like it was it. an attempt to make a Hope and Crosby picture. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I prefer Fan of the Paradise, but I know. I think it's. I think it probably is maligned, and who knows why it's maligned? Maybe. I just, but I it's think it's, it's coming back. Stuff. You know, people now really do include it in pictures that are good that people always trash. I think it's going to be. It's getting be, yeah. you know, that that kind of rep. I it think. Got a good rep. I read something the other day like pictures that are trashed that are, are really good. Ishtar. New York Times gave it a good. Finally, gave it a good review. 40 years later or whatever. Yeah, Blu-ray. Blu-ray has a way of changing people's minds. Well, I mean, even Duck Soup was not was not well-received. I mean, there are movies that gain a reputation over the years, and I really do believe Ishtar is going to be one. So we do a mini-episode on Thursdays where we recommend movies, oh, nice. and I'm, I'm jumping the gun and recommending Ishtar and, Paul, and the songs of Paul Williams. Oh, lovely. Sung by Gilbert Godfrey. Yes. Sung by Gilbert Godfrey. Why are there so many songs about rainbows <laughs> and what's on the other side? Keep singing. See, had, when you insulted me, I'd known Gilbert is such a good rendition of you, I would have liked him instead of Neil Diamond. Think there you of it go. that you way. You know, yeah. I, I about maybe three or four times on stage uh, did a bit when I didn't care if the audience was following me or not. I used to do a bit of, uh, this is true, years ago I used to do this, uh, Paul Williams fucking Shirley Temple. (laughs) (laughs) Tracy is clutching her chest. At what what age? Well, I don't want to say that or it would just be wrong. Okay, here's Paul Williams fucking Shirley Temple. Oh, Shirley, your pussy is so tight. Oh, it's 
Mr. Williams, I really like your big, veiny, hairy dick. Oh, Shirley, would you like to give me a blowjob, Shirley? Oh, yes. Oh, 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 my dick in my mouth. It feels so good. Oh, how I'm going to come. Oh I'm going to come, Shirley. Oh, it looks good for me, oh, <laughs> Mr. Williams. Oh, can I, can I fuck you in the ass? Oh, yes, Mr. Williams. I would be honored. <laughs> Oh, Lord. I may have just had a peak experience in my life. Can I, can oh, I take my dick out of your ass and smack you across the head with it? Oh, yes, I would be on it. Here's the line. Oh, my God. Wow. Here's Gil. You finally found the line. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Wow. They would have been the same size. <laughs> Tracy's losing oh, the it. Good ship lollipop. Oh, oh, you curly blonde cunt! <laughs> I want to new... go down on it. It could have been a new lollipop on the good ship lollipop. Oh wow! You notice I have stayed out of this yeah. totally. You know, He's turned several you know, colors. I, I, you know, every now and then there's a little wisdom in the wound, as as uh, Oprah says. There's a little wisdom in the wound that I back away. You know. And I didn't say any of the things that occurred to me. Like, you know. When you got... <laughs> See, if you were still drinking, one, you would have really been off, fun in that off moment. Off the air, I will share a couple lines with you that occurred to me that... I can't wait. <laughs> we'll sh- bring them to lunch. Oh now, these people want to eat, so we should wrap the show oh, up. But God. you're, you're, you're oh. both movie buffs, big-time movie buffs. And I saw a, a Turner Classic Movies podcast yeah. interview with you when you yeah. were talking about Lonely or the Brave, and you were talking about Sergeant York. Yeah. So for, for the two... Uh, the uh, the actor and the screenwriter. We're just going to throw out some random questions. Favorite character actor any era. Tracy. Oh God, John Cleese. I'm sorry. John Cleese. I just think John. Fish Called Wanda is my favorite movie ever. I don't know why, I, but John Cleese to me is hysterically funny. No matter what he does, I laugh. I know maybe he's not considered like the total. We'll take it. Not, I wouldn't have thought of him as a character actor. You wouldn't? No. Really? I would think of him as a leading man in comedies. But yeah, it's, a, it's a, if you stretch it. I was going more for the sort of Walter Brennan... Uh, Arthur Honeycutt. Uh, Arthur, yeah. Arthur, yeah, Arthur, George Kennedy, Arthur Honeycutt. Uh, Go for it. But I'll take it. I have to... My favorite, oh, like, 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 like George Ken, like Burgess Meredith, like those yeah, guys. Well, Gilbert yeah. loves oh. Burgess Meredith. Oh, yeah. Okay, then right, for for Gilbert, I'll say Burgess Meredith. Okay, because yeah, I love the original of Mice and Men. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I'm a big Lon Chaney Jr. fan, of course. Rocky, he was pretty. I mean, he's yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll someone go. like that, Paul. Eli Wallach. Great. Oh, great one. Eli Good choice. Yeah. Misfits. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. Baby doll. Oh, yeah, exactly. But there's also, I mean, there's guys like Royal Dano. I mean, love Royal Dano. Oh, yes, yes. So, you know, yeah. That, uh, yeah uh, but yeah, Eli Wallach. I mean, he was just a great actor. Just a great actor. And Misfits is one of my favorite movies ever. You know. This one's for you, Tracy. Best, uh, best or smartest romantic comedy that people don't talk about or give enough credit to. I know you wrote some rom coms. Oh, that people don't give enough credit to. Underrated. An underrated romantic comedy. I'm putting you on the spot. You're really putting me on the spot because, oh shoot! 
Ask Polly another question. Let me think. No, no, you do. I got to go off the top. I don't have an underrated. I mean, I mean yes, when Harry How about met favorite? Sally. My favorite when Harry met Sally. Okay. I mean, I you know, in terms of, I mean, I but see, I kind of like films from the '90s on. I know you guys all love the old films. I'm really one of those sort of like '90s on people. Fair it's, enough. Can I'm, I put? What? Oh, can I put you totally on this? Yeah. Spot? Most overrated film. Oh, the most overrated film. We'll Probably Notting Hill. Notting Hill. Okay. I think Good cast. that one. <sighs> what? I mean that's that's just maybe. Maybe oh god, I'm really bad about that. I mean maybe if you go back to the 80s. I mean coming home doesn't count, does it? It wasn't funny. No, but I <laughs> but I really but loved I, it. I, I love Hal Ashby. I, I really I love Hal Ashby shampoo. He was I love ice from the waist. Yeah, it's very funny. Oh my god, but then when he goes down on it, I'm sorry, that's like one of the great scenes. I've never seen anybody go down on anyone until that movie. That stuck in right. my head. I'm sorry, it and meant the, a lot to me. The next day, I'm our hair was curly home all across the boards. Right. Okay. Really. Shout out to Hal Ashby. I'm sorry I'm too horny to actually answer any more questions now. You know, next she keeps doing that. Best, best TV theme song that you didn't write. Oh, the best TV theme song that I didn't write. Wow. Because the, from set to the, well, to the man who wrote Fox The Love wrote Boat. Great ones. Charlie Fox wrote oh. Happy Days. He wrote Laverne and Shirley. You, you know, write the, Love American style? Love American I love style. That Just, one. You know, Charlie Fox was the best. He and I wrote Love Boat theme together and all, which was, but, but he wrote so many good ones and all. Uh, uh, the theme for MASH is is just, I mean, no words in it, but just a written great, by Robert Altman's son, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Johnny Mandel. Oh, Johnny Mandel, Johnny didn't, Mandel but didn't Robert Altman's son write oh, the lyrics? The suicide, lyrics. suicide is painless. Suicide is painless. Yeah, but but the music. Johnny is, Mandel. Johnny Mandel. It's just it's just great. Uh, favorite sexual position with Shirley Temple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. I, I, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter which position we're in, as long as it says the, the name Black is on her dressing room door. <laughs> oh, you don't. Want, uh, but then to go back, to I would make her shave. You know, so so we, I could pretend she was. No, wait a minute. See, that's what I wasn't going to say, and then I went. Place. You know, I know yeah. you do. Place to yeah. go to. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Gil, for corrupting my childhood hero. Appreciate that. All right, last movie one. Uh, for Tracy, movie that changed you or rocked your world? Well, I guess we have to go back to Coming Home. Really? Coming no. Home? Changed, changed me or changed rocked my thinking. world? Changed my thinking you about know. everything ever? Knocked you for a loop. I'm really bad. You know, I, 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 now I'm on the spot. The movie that rocked my world was The Way We Were. Okay. But again, it's a sex scene. It's when, when Robert Redford has sex with, with Barbara Streisand, and it's like, yes, handsome men will have sex with ugly girls. I think we got a recurring theme here. <laughs> I was. I, I, you know, I, those were the films. Yeah, those two. Those did it. Okay. Good choices. Paul, life-changing movie? I'm younger Atticus than he is. That's Finch. why, you know. Oh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Atticus Finch. Great. The daddy uh, we all wanted to have. I love it. Uh, the most amazing film, I, my favorite film maybe in the whole world. Robert Mulligan. Exactly. Why are mine are all sex and yours are all like parents? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But except the thing is great is that in my real life I'm all about sex and, and no wait a minute. No, that's not a true either. I think I think that yeah, I think that movie just on some there are, there are a couple movies that drove me to music. One of them is is Man with a Golden Arm, which oh, is sure. because the music is part of the environment. And the other one would, would be Blackboard Jungle because it's one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock and do five. It was the music was integral to the story. It was part of the environment, not just the score. And I think there was something that sucked me into film and music at, in, in those two pictures. But but uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Good movies, you know. All good, all, all good, good calls. Movies. Good choices. I can't wait to watch Coming Home again. You don't remember Coming Home? I don't. Well, oh. what, what year did it come out? 78. 78. Okay, by then I was, yeah, well, I was. Go watch it. That, that uh, to me, was like a politically correct film in that it's like the ideal man is a man who's paralyzed from the waist down. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that film was telling you. And maybe I was on to something, you know? (laughs) My my former boss, Joy Behar, has a funny bit about coming home where after the sex scene, her hair is curly. It was straight before the... And she comes out, now she's got a fro. The sex was that good. Yeah, it was was a very... um, It was definitely a mind-blowing film. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? I'm yeah. out of cards. Anything you want to okay. ask these nice people, Gilbert? Uh, well, I think we, we could uh, wind it up with you as Gilbert Gottfried and me as Paul Williams. <laughs> wanna, should, oh, should, we, should we lead Paul over there, or yeah. is that putting him on the spot? I, 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 I am a horrible piano player, so okay. So Not, I, would, I would rather stay a cappella, but, you know, I'd, I, yeah. I've been but meaning to tell you that. What did it cost I, you to rent that thing? <laughs> Nothing. All right, they okay, just threw good, it in good. in case you wanted to play. Like, I didn't know your instrument of choice. No, no, no. Dream away, child. Dreams, your dreams run wild. Her favorite song of mine is a song called Dream Away. But if, so now if you're I, doing it as Gilbert? I'm doing it as Gilbert. You if won't I be do, able to talk tomorrow I won't be able to talk tomorrow. I mean, so. to My talk favorite Paul Williams. old-fashioned love song. Oh, here we go. Playing under radio. And wrapped around the music is a <laughs> the sound of someone <laughs> promising they'll never go. <laughs> Take it, Polly. You swear you've heard it before as it slowly rambles on and on. (laughs) No need in bringing them back. They never... (laughs) Really, you know, it's the gone, whatever. (laughs) Just an old song. Fashion, you left out fashion. Oh, uh, (laughs) what? I mean, fashion. You left out. Oh my God! Which one am I? We'll be back with one of us someday. <laughs> wait, wait. What's the next? <laughs> Before we go, will you go plug plug the uh, the book. Uh, tell us the book. Tell us the uh, podcast. Look, gratitude and trust: six affirmations that will change your life. Written by Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson. And the podcast, uh, gratitude and trust, uh, starting with Tracy in Jackson June and Paul with, Williams. with their first guest, Judd Apatow. Judd first, Apatow. Actually, our first we guest a- will be Chris Hardwick. Our first or the guest, way that the airs, I made it airs. Our first guest will be Chris Hardwick. And then, but we're taping Judd Apatow first. And then, you know and the world of podcasts, yeah, right, guys? We tape Judd tomorrow. We tape uh, David, David Steinberg, Steinberg Pendulette. Wow, Pendulette. Pendulette. you're stealing all our guests. I know we are. Okay. I looked at your, I looked at your yeah. roster and I went, grab Damn it. it. Okay, here, so you won't have to listen to it. Here's Paul Williams interviewing David Steinberg. <laughs> so, David, tell us. How you first started doing comedy? Well, I started doing comedy when I was in Canada. Oh, well, Winnipeg. Can- <laughs> yes, well, Winnipeg sounds like a lovely place. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, I enjoyed living in Winnipeg very much. <laughs> I love Winnipeg. What a now, treat. Thanks, guys. Now, Thank Paul, you, guys. Could you please tell me? Won't stop the show, Paul. Could you please? Could you please tell me what it was like? Fucking Shirley Temple. It's time for his medication. You know what? I knew he was going. Okay, we have one more time. David, time for 
Time for your medication, Gilbert. Time for your medication. Well, David, it was... I like doing a 69. I'm sure. Okay. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. My new favorite episode. Thank you, guys. At the Friars Club in New York City, where we've been interviewing Tracy Jackson and Paul Williams, who revealed today he fucked Shirley Temple. Yes. As Pat McCormick watched but, it from a helicopter. And, and now let's go down to the kitchen and get shit-faced. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Wonderful show. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.